You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Welcome, everyone, to the Teller from Jerusalem podcast, where we do not just teach, but touch. This is Season 2, Episode 34. We're going to continue where we left off last time by detailing some of the extraordinary kindness and solidarity being widely experienced in Israel. My friend Shai Gutenberg related that he, like so many others from America and elsewhere, elected to visit Israel to show solidarity. He related that he is walking up to the El Al counter. It wasn't nerve-wracking at all until a man approached him and asked, Are you traveling to Israel? He replied in the affirmative, and then was asked if he could take along stuff for a soldier. When people ask if you can take something along, it's always far greater than what you might imagine. The fellow assured me that someone would meet me at the meet him at the airport to collect the stuff. So Shai Gutenberg related that his whole life he'd been cautioned never to accept packages from strangers. Even Allah would ask him about it. However, this situation felt different, and he asked if the items were approved. The fellow confirmed that it had been cleared. The package consisted of six large duffel bags for a unit that was in desperate need of equipment, a unit in the army. Shai wrote that he felt blessed to be the messenger. He took the bags and headed to the first inspection. The clerk asked, did you pack, the, did you pack your bags? That was the first question that he was asked. Um, uh, uh, he replied, I packed one of them but not these six. And the security agent replied, that's okay, these are donations. Everything proceeded smoothly, and the other agents remained calm and friendly. This trip was definitely different from all the others. Everyone seems to be getting into the act of volunteerism. Even Gera Hasidim, considered very insular, are going out to the front lines with barbecues for hundreds of soldiers. I'm going to play for you an initiative of religious volunteers extending themselves on behalf of the soldiers. One more example of the unprecedented unity being felt in the country. On October 7, 2023, Hamas catalyzed a spiritual transformation and national unity in Israel that was truly unimaginable prior to the attack. To cover the story of millions of heroic individuals unifying together would be impossible. In this episode of Tribe Journal, we take a closer look at the grassroots group of ultra-Orthodox Haredim who have dropped everything to help strengthen the troops on the front lines with love, unity, and as brothers in arms. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what color yarmulke, not wearing, wearing. It doesn't matter what color tzitzit, wearing, not wearing. We're all Jews. We all got each other's back. If we can't be there wearing a gun, we're to do what we can to help you out. I heard of a group of guys that were literally going from base to base to pick up cars to drive back so their wives have their cars. Like, people are just thinking, like, how can I help? And it was with this mindset that Moshe Pikasovitz and Shia Rubin began their journey, beating thousands of soldiers each day. Go to Sharad. We had no base to go to. We had no idea what was going on. We said, okay, what do they need? They need snacks, they need drinks, canned food. We filled up two big carts. And as we were walking out of the parking lot, we bumped into a guy. He said, I'm going to an army base. I said, we're an army base. I said, I have stuff that I got, and I want to bring it to the army base as well. And I pull up over there, and I see soldiers rolling in, rolling in, rolling in. And I finally meet the guy in charge over there of that base. 
And I said, listen, I have stuff. He's like, that's amazing. We did it again at night. And then I have friends of mine from Osharad. We said, we're gonna, we're gonna expand this. And we started making sandwiches in their kitchen, sending out thousands of sandwiches to the soldiers in the front line. And we'd box it up, package it up. We're working 24 hours a day. And we put together 50,000 sandwiches in the time of a week. 50,000 sandwiches. sandwiches, yeah. This is the time where the army had 300,000 reserves and they had no distribution. They didn't they really have it. They were just pulling everything together. So. everything together. So we went ahead and made the sandwiches. At the same time, we said we're going to roll out with the barbecues. I came for Sukkot, I came for the Chagim. As soon as this happened, it was kind of hard to just pack up and leave. I prolonged my trip back. I just felt that I have to do something what I can. I'm not a Chayal, I'm not trained to be a soldier, and I don't. You know, it's not my forte, uh, but I want to be here. Everyone was blown away. Soldiers were going up to the guys and hugging. Where we are, we feel it, because we're interacting with people and whatnot. But here, they're on the base most of the day, so they don't necessarily see it. So you coming out from the community and into the front lines like this is so important. The only way to win is with unity. 100%. You have Haredi people coming and making a barbecue for the soldiers. There's automatically unity. One of our barbecues that we made, there's a video that went viral. Three million people saw it. Huh. Is where you have the Hasidic Jew hugging a secular soldier. And the soldier said, I really thank you so much for coming out. He says, can I give you a hug? And he gives him a hug. And he goes to the next guy, I want to thank you so much. I feel like we're working together. We're a team. I'm going to be out there, but you're out here. You're praying for us. You're learning for us. You're davening. And we're going to connect and unite. We're going to win this together. Because we're one nation. Many people have volunteered to help the dire agricultural situation in the south where abandoned fields are about to be lost if they are not immediately harvested. Everyday volunteers, including volunteers from overseas, travel down to be assistants. Doctors from abroad have flown to Israel to see how they can be of help. The Hasidic Rebbe of Karlin has asked his followers to help as much as possible. So he and others have sent their followers to aid farmers in the southern settlements outside of Gaza. Closer to home, nearby where we live, a store that went out of operation has been rejuvenated as an operation center running shifts virtually around the clock for drop-offs and pickup. A team of over 50 drivers are picking up items to distribute. Without such a large and dedicated team, this store would be overflowing with all of the donations. Needless to say, there are also people who are preparing meals for the drivers and the volunteers so that they have fuel to do their important work. Everyone is so desirous to be of help, I would not find it ludicrous if there are even people preparing meals for those who are preparing meals for those who are preparing meals for the drivers who are bringing things to the wounded soldiers. Our small neighborhood hosted, meaning we were just the venue, there were sponsors and organizations and individuals, a carnival for internal refugees that had to evacuate their homes. It was a carnival with absolutely everything, from rides to music to dancing to barbecues, cotton candy, you name it, toys, balloons, flamethrowers, and endless entertainment. This is just a more advanced effort of volunteers that all began with the outbreak of the war because when the refugees had to evacuate their homes, they left with only the clothing on their back. So Israeli citizens are providing them with clothing, toiletries, shoes, and even school supplies. Somehow school is still going on, and teachers have been hired, or more likely are volunteering, to allow these children and their families who have been subject to so much trauma to have a modicum and sense of normalcy. 
also in our neighborhood of Arzea Biran, Jerusalem, adjacent to the three hotels filled with evacuees, under the leadership of Rabbi Chaim Tzvi Center, there are elaborate acts to afford the evacuees the most enjoyable and uplifting Shabbat experiences. Delicacies are brought in industrial quantities, and neighbors join in heartful singing. I saw a clip somewhere of a rabbi describing how a secular Israeli brought 300 meals to an army base to distribute to the soldiers. The rabbi complimented the person who had made this significant donation, but said that for any food to enter the base, it had to be kosher, and for the looks of things of this very secular donator, it did not look like kosher standards had been observed. The man responded that he had only spoken to two rabbis in his entire life, and he said to you today and yesterday to the rabbi who came to my home to make it kosher. This is a dramatic example of Israelis' long-spoken maxim that, for all of the country's fissures, political, cultural, and religious, people unite during crises, particularly against external threats. Israelis put aside long-standing differences in the time of war. Many examples center around food. For instance, several Jewish-owned non-kosher food establishments have sought and earned short-term kosher certification during this past month to enable soldiers and civilians who observe Jewish dietary laws to eat their food. I came across a site for real estate agents who are now brokering apartments that are currently empty and that have been made available free of charge for evacuees. This entails far more than just handing over a key. Volunteers have to go over beforehand to make sure that the apartment is clean and that it is stocked and fully functioning. The site I stumbled across was via naaled.com, operated by Elisheva Soloveitchik. I heard on the radio a fellow who went up north with his friend, hoping to provide meals for the soldiers, and since everyone up north has basically been evacuated, they took over two large garages with permission and set up barbecues and other cooking apparatus. But since the area has become a ghost town and the stores are closed, they set up a network of their friends, each one driving up various supplies, meat, rice, seasonings, etc., etc. Each day these men turn out over 150 meals a day and have other volunteers drive them to the soldiers or evacuees. Every time I hear an interview like this, the interviewer asks what they are doing for money and the interviewee only says at the end, in a bashful voice, that contributions could be accepted very much as an afterthought. I put a new book into the press, more about this at the end of the podcast, so when I called up the man who usually oversees the manufacturing of the books for me, and I began the conversation as everyone begins their conversations these days with, where am I finding you? Eyal told me that he was all the way up north, and even though he was not doing any army work, he was volunteering for businesses who had no one to run them because their owners were all called up to the reserves. He told me that it was not a very glorious job, but he's keeping the businesses in operation. Eyal told me that he was staying one day with a friend and yet another day with a relative, and all that he cares about is that once in a while he can take a shower. He mentioned tangentially that he was driving through Rosh Pina, which is a town up north, and he saw a woman carrying a whole bunch of shopping bags hitchhiking. He gave her a ride, and she said that she'd been working with her friends, 
and they prepare 300 sandwiches a day. Seeing this elderly woman, who was clearly deep into her 70s, he asked her the ages of the other people in the group, and she said that she was by far the youngest. Rabbi Elia da Goldwicht described the gruesome work his army unit has been doing in recognizing bodies that have been shot or burned by the terrorists beyond recognition. When the work of this unit gets too gruesome, the soldiers look outside of the, at the large wall that has been adorned with countless drawings by children, and then you see there written in childish handwriting encouraging signs such as, Am Yisrael Chai, you can do this, you can get through with it, and... Whereas it is proverbial in America to have a picture of a missing person on a milk carton, over here, which would be so much easier to describe visually than audibly, there are 240 pictures on milk cartons. Seeing distributions is so common that drivers who pass by a distribution site don't even stop to look. I'm going to play for you a few brief selections that I picked up regarding volunteer efforts. This Tel Aviv apartment complex is jammed full of elderly refugees, Holocaust survivors, and folks too in need of care or too cash-strapped to be on their own. With volley after volley of missiles sent their way, almost daily from Gaza, they face the very real threat of death should they be out in the streets. Israel is a very small place. Uh, everything is close. Uh, the bombings that have happened uh, out of Gaza have reached Tel Aviv almost every day. The Jewish agency's Danielle Moore. If you are a person in your 80s, in your 90s, very frail, how are you even going to manage when there is a siren and you're outside? How are you going to reach a place of safety? So what's happening here is that places like the Jewish agency, combined with CBN Israel and others, are providing these huge food boxes and water to make sure that these residents can stay right here in the building, right near shelters. Not to be after on the street to do shopping and errands and risking that they would be hit by a missile or shrapnel and caught off guard when there is a siren. We want to keep them safe. And feeling cared for. It's just also interacting, smile, hug, just allowing people to know that they're not alone. But that has not stopped many of them from leaving their homes and coming together to help neighbors and fellow citizens affected by this ongoing nightmare. There is a lot of residents like Tamar Shori gathering critical supplies for her community. Till now, I'm getting hundreds of calls, people who want to help, want to bring food and volunteers. At donation centers in Tel Aviv, hundreds helping to sort boxes of food and clothing that will make its way to southern Israel. In Jerusalem, a three-hour line forming as Israelis showed up to donate blood for the thousands of wounded across the country. The country's at war. Um, and as a civilian, it's very important um, to, to do my part, to do what I can. The deputy director of Israel's National Blood Service thanking the public for their ongoing help. We were not prepared for this, and we need more and more blood every minute, every hour, five times more than usually. It's just amazing. I'm so proud of Israeli people in this situation. Citizen volunteer Elizabeth Schwartz has seen the heartwarming efforts firsthand. The overall feeling is like this harmonization of people that's kind of this like infectious, uplifting energy, despite the fact that we're all living through these trying times. She says donating and volunteering has given many people 
like herself, an outlet to cope with the sense of helplessness during this conflict. So this is our way of giving back, even if it is through more smaller acts of service or kindness. A nation coming together amid its grief. There are some more clips I saw of a fellow. I never quote his name, but he's an American with an organization called Stand With Israel. He has a very friendly face and is obviously enjoying every second of his work on behalf of the soldiers. One of his group's innovations was spas for the soldiers coming back from the front. Actually, it's just a small pool with, an, with warm water and bubbles, but the soldiers love it and joyfully jump right in. The spirit of unity has not been confined to Israel. Here's an example among hundreds that I read about overseas. Kathy Aron in the city, meaning in Manhattan, workers who worked there that were supporting Hamas quit, and the friends of the owner and his mom came to help, and instead of closing the business, the lines waiting for coffee go around the block. And here's a very interesting story of evangelical cowboys from the Midwest that came to Israel to volunteer their help and their know-how unique to cowboys. A story so interesting deserves a little background music. For those who think that my cowboy musical preference was too baby boomer-esque, I'm going to offer some equal time to the classical epic spaghetti western of the good, bad, and the ugly that was released not all that much later than Bonanza, but the music is so rich and varied that became a favorite of national symphonies, in this instance, of the Danish National Symphony, and of course the film made Clint Eastwood an overnight star. Fifteen American Christian cowboys with their wide-brimmed hats, denim shirts, tight Wrangler jeans, leather belts with large buckles, and well-worn boots have come to Israel to protect the Jewish residents of the biblical heartland, Judea and Samaria. We want to live for Israel, that is our goal, said 24-year-old Yosef Strain from Montana, his voice carrying a subtle twang. The young men, mostly in their early 20s, hail from across the South, Tennessee, Missouri, Texas, Arkansas, and Montana. They join other faith-driven volunteers in Israel through Hayovel. For 20 years, this organization has been bringing several hundred Christians to Israel each year to help harvest the grapes of the biblical heartland. These evangelical Christians are usually focused on restoring Christian-Jewish relations and confirming Israel's right to their ancestral homeland. However, after the October 7th Hamas massacre, we understood the morbid reality that we are facing a serious enemy and the world does not recognize it. Here is the way Fox News broke the very same story. You know, I really love this story. A group of cowboys from Montana travel to Israel to help farmers there harvest their crops. One of the cowboys is John Plotcher, who joins me now. John, when I was trying to tell the audience that you were going to be with us, I said you would stick out like a sore thumb in Israel. Do you? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, we stand out quite a bit. We normally uh, 
Yeah, we've been getting a, whole, a lot of people stopping wanting to take pictures and stuff. <laughs> I'll bet. What are you teaching them? Oh, I think they're teaching me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the people of Israel are, are they live and they're, they're here in the land. It's their land. And uh, I'm just excited to be here and support and work with them. How did this group come together? Montana Cowboys coming together to go to Israel. How do you do that? How do we do it? Well, what we're doing is we're out here in Judea and Samaria. Uh, I'm working with an organization called Hyovel, and they, uh, it's Operation Itai. And what they're doing is they're supporting the farmers and the Jewish communities out here in Judea and Samaria. They're bringing things, uh, essential supplies needed for the communities around here so that the, what happened on the attack here recently doesn't happen out here. Um, they're bringing in bulletproof vests, um, night vision goggles, security drones, stuff to keep these communities safe. Um, so what we're doing is we're distributing supplies. We're uh, working uh, at, on a warehouse here on base. We've been out in the communities uh, helping with just regular tasks, just stuff where they're, all the men are out working or they're being called up for the draft. John, and so uh, we've been working on some of the farms around here and stuff like that. Forgive me for asking, um, are you Jewish or any members of the other cowboys from Montana? Are you Jewish? No, we are not. Are you fundamentalist Christians who go back to the Holy Land? Um, yeah, I'm a Bible believer. I believe in the whole Bible and I believe in the um, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And uh, yeah, we believe that this land was given to the Jewish people by God and uh, they have a right to this to this land. And um, yeah. Definitely. How many cowboys do you have in your group altogether? Uh, there's, group? there's, well, from Montana, the guys that I brought with me, there's three, and then one guy from Arkansas met us in New York on the way. I think you're doing an extraordinary thing. Congratulations to you. And thanks for being on the show and telling us what you're up to. That's all good stuff. John Plotcher, Montana cowboy in Israel. Thank you, sir. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. And now... Here's some more bright news among the somber news. A midwife in the Shari Tzedek Medical Center wrote, that's the very hospital where my daughter Maria is a nurse, she wrote, on a difficult day in which we counted our fallen soldiers, I wanted to share another count. Yesterday we discovered that we had broken the record for births in a single month, 1,823. This statistic is courtesy of families from the South who have moved temporarily to Jerusalem, courtesy of wives who have come to be with their parents in Jerusalem since their husbands had been called up for military duty, and courtesy of the multitude of women who live in Jerusalem and the surrounding towns who come to Shari Tzedek to give birth. This statistic gives us much more strength and hope with a clear message. The nation of Israel thrives and it lives. And with great pride, we brought into the world all these sweet little babies, 1,823 to be exact. I heard the following from an interview with Tali Versano Eisman, a reserve officer in the IDF Homefront Command. The story is so good, it merits some ballet musical background. Maestro, please. Two mothers were waiting for their daughters to finish ballet class. One mother asked the other, isn't your daughter the one who keeps falling down? The first mother asked the second, replied the mother, no, my daughter's the one who keeps getting back up. This is the ability we need to develop now, 
we need to practice how, after falling down, to get back up again. Or, as Joey Newcomb knows how to melodiously express this in a way all his own, To poignantly express the brotherhood encompassing the nation, I'm going to end with this. One taxi driver related that he picked up a girl from the airport and she was crying. He asked her why. She said that she just sent her parents off who were visiting her in Israel and she was now all by herself. The driver said to her, don't worry. He wrote down his phone number. He gave it to her and said, please call me because I'm going to be checking up on you. So thank you for listening, and please send this podcast out to others so we can increase the message. Now, here's a newsflash. After quite a long hiatus, we've just released a new book. The title is If Not Higher, Stories and Insights of Rabbi Yehuda Kelimer, the former rabbi of the young Israel of West Hempstead, Long Island. This book will not just change the way you lead your life. It will affect an immediate and absolute reset of your thinking, approach, and conduct. Many refer to Rabbi Yehuda Kelimer, of blessed memory, as the rabbi's rabbi. But this title does no justice to the overwhelming impact they had upon anyone he encountered. It wasn't charisma, and it certainly wasn't hip coolness. It was the rarest blend of mastery of every facet of Torah, exquisite sensitivity, and how a God-fearing individual must consistently conduct himself. Anyone who required assistance, whether it be requested or not, usually it was the latter, was blessed by Rabbi Kelimer by taking them under his wing, making them feel honorable and important. The rabbi had a very liberal, nigh incomprehensible interpretation of assistance. With never a thought for his own personal comfort or dignity, no obstacle could prevent this treasured and cherished uplifting intervention. Because of his Torah scholarship, recognized by the world's most prominent Torah leaders, and his dynamic leadership and extraordinary care for everyone, the young Israel was tempted where he was the rabbi, swelled to a membership of 750 families, young and old, disaffected youth, ardent secularists, and even yeshiva graduates revered Rabbi Kelimer and lovingly heeded his counsel. The stories in this precious volume, so many stories, surpass whatever has been written about a communal leader before. You will soon be able to find this book on my website, www.hanachteller.com, with a discount. Mention TFJ at checkout. Receive an extra discount on anything on the site. The book can also be pre-ordered via feldheim.com. If not higher, will be in Jewish bookstores or available via Amazon before Hanukkah. And this year, there could not be a more impactful or cherished gift. Kudos to Howard the Cheetah Felsen for superb sound engineering. Our upcoming podcast, Please God, will resume our schedule of a character episode. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review 
and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit telefromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting the TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Teleproducts, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Telefrom Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to telefromjerusalem.com. 